But the other day, I was running past Jenny Lane. Yes, I was running, a small miracle on its own. But I ran past the home, and, uh, and I've run that route many times, but I looked at it with fresh eyes of faith of, of this, this home. It's a very ordinary home that was the birthplace of Life Change Church 25 years ago. But as I ran past it, I just got struck with the enormity of, of this, this reality that if it wasn't for Wally and Shirley, I wouldn't be in Cape Town. And yes, I know the sovereign hand of God can work and move in different ways, but, but actually in the, in the frame of reference I have, if it wasn't for their step of faith, I wouldn't be in Cape Town. If it wasn't for their step of faith, my wife wouldn't move to a church called Life Changes. We wouldn't have probably met. We probably wouldn't have had the kids that we have. We, my mother-in-law might not have come to salvation through those, those relationships. My sister-in-law might not have found salvation. She then also, she met her husband in church serving. I'm going... What are the potentials here if that couple hadn't stepped out in faith? But thank goodness I don't have to run that base because they did step out in faith. And I was like, God, thank you, thank you. As I looked at it from my own vantage point, seeing my kids being raised up in a, in a church where they're loved and they're encouraged and I know that they just are gonna grow and grow in their faith, I suddenly was struck with the fact that this thing is a miracle. That what God is doing and what he has done is a miracle. And I know there are many people in this room who can attest to that. And if you can't attest to it yet, I pray that you'll be able to do so as you jump into the story. We, we call these days Vision Sunday, not because we need a new vision from God. We're not those people saying, what is the word of the year? No, no, we're not doing that. We, we know what God has called us to. Our vision is clear. It's nothing fancy. It's biblical. It's literally what I think every church should be about. Number one, to reach far. Reach those who are unreached. Those people who, are, who do not know Christ yet. I remember during the pandemic, I had this crippling fear, and in my lowest moment, I said to my wife, what if nobody comes back? And thank goodness for a voice of reason, because she said to me this, she said, Gabe, there's three million people in the city. If no one comes back, we just go reach a whole bunch more. I was like, that's why I married you. But it is the very reality of the gospels. We keep reminding our hearts because our hearts are fickle. We're not called to be keepers of people. We're not keepers of an aquarium. We're made to be people who reach people in the furthest places of their lives. We're running far. We'll be the church that pursues them into the parking lots. We'll pursue them in our workspaces. We'll pursue people who the world has given up on. We want to reach far. Secondly, we want to raise up. Raise up. We want to see people saved, but then also raised up and discipled into all God has called them to be. Uh, a week ago, we celebrated one of our good friends, Quinton's 50th birthday. And at that birthday, Warwick, who's uh, seated in row third, three, looking so good in white. But Warwick shared the, uh, a speech and he shared the date. He said, this, I remember, I hope I get the right date, the 6th of June, 2008. He got a message from Quinton when Quinton was as lowest of his low, a man who had, didn't want, wanted nothing to do with church. He was agnostic or atheist, whichever one is more determined to be against the things of God. And, and, but he got to a point because of a friendship from Warwick and he said, I need to make a change. And Warwick led him to the Lord. And then subsequently, Warwick and a number of others discipled him. This happened in 2008. This guy, Quinton, now in 2024, is an elder in the church. He is a, a highly sought after and a successful IT specialist in the city and the nation. He's a man whose children are being raised up in the, in the house of God. And he's even, they've even adopted a little girl called Liberty Grace, who's like best friends with my little girl. And I'm going, this thing's a miracle. It's a miracle. We're called to raise up people and disciple them in the ways of God. Thirdly, though, we're also called to release wide. I don't know if you saw in the video, there was that couple, Wayne and Jen, a little Zach Barthus there, a family who have gone a year ago and planted out of us into Danoon, one of the poorer areas in our, in our city. And they planted there called Faith Village Church. It's not a life change church. It's not about a branding exercise on our behalf. This is the mandate to plant churches to reach those far from God and we'll release our best to go and do that. 
And the amazing thing in this journey is to see that family. Zach is also an incredible story of adoption in their family. And the name Zach means literally the Lord has remembered. And I love the fact that they, this family carried that little boy into the darkest area as they released wide from us, not singing their comfort zones of what they loved about life change, but stepping out saying, God, the mission is bigger than just our safety and our seclusion and our, our, our sanitized living, whatever S you want to put there. But, but actually, it's got to push us to more. And they've taken this little gift, and I always see it as I see that boy, the prophetic declaration that an area that maybe the world or the nation or society has forgotten at the bottom there, Danun. They carry a little boy named the Lord has remembered. God won't forget if we hold on to his mission. So we, we, there's nothing new for us. We're going to keep reminding our hearts that that's what we exist for. This is not a church vision. This is a biblical Christ follower vision. You are called to this. I am called to this if you're a Bible-believing Christian. This is not unique to us. But in that vein, we are, there are some changes and shifts in our story. And in that idea of release wide, this doesn't impact us directly. But our Table View 5 p.m. meeting is having a change of leadership as we are releasing a couple there called Michael and Crystal Hedenskog. I don't know if you know them. You've seen them on church news. But this amazing couple are going to be over, uh, taking over the leadership within the, the leadership structure of our church of that 5 p.m. meeting. And that might sound like, cool, what has that got to do with me? Well, here's the amazing story. Is that, that story of Michael and Crystal is a fulfillment of our vision. Because Crystal, I remember just rewind a decade ago, her sitting on our couch facing fear and I weeping at the depth of her lowest moment saying, has the grace of God run out on me? And we'll be able to, we'll able to minister the gospel and the courage of what Jesus Christ has did into her heart and God started to work with other people around her. She got rebuilt up and, and started to walk in confidence. She meets a man named Michael who's this guy who for a decade had been on anxiety medications, was, was depressed and nervous at the best of times. He finds the gospel, finds the call of God and then steps out in faith and is now leading a congregation and being released to lead a people of God called Life Changes 5 p.m. in Tableview. I think that's a miracle. A miracle. And these are things that we are celebrating. But tonight, for us, if I, I think we need some Bible. Everyone wants some Bible? Come on, there we go. I'll give Bible to the five people who said, come on, there we go. I want to quickly tell us the tale of two brothers um, that are hinge points in the Scriptures. Uh, famously, they're known as Jacob and Esau. But they should technically be called, referred to as Esau and Jacob because Esau was the eldest, but he gets relegated to second in command in the retelling of these narratives. But for time's sake, Genesis 25 is the first part of this narrative and it focuses on mainly on the failure of the first brother, Esau. They were twins. Esau was the oldest. By mere seconds, he came out first. He was red and he was hairy. He's my kind of guy. I like this guy. But Esau is this guy, and, and being the firstborn in the family, there's something called the law of primogeniture, which is the, the blessing of the firstborn. In the Jewish culture of the day, is the eldest son would inherit everything. It was like the weakest link. The secondborn, you leave with nothing. But the firstborn would get the property and the finest on, on the death of the father. He would get authority over the family, and ultimately, he would also get blessing and favor from God. Spiritually, they believed that, that the firstborn would carry this, this special favor and blessing of God. But it comes to this moment where the two brothers, Jacob, who is this, this notorious con artist who's always grasping and, and trying to one-up his brother and move ahead and jostle ahead, he's cooking a delicious meal. Esau comes in. Esau smells the food. And Esau says this line that, that haunts me. He says this. He said, I, I, I'm so hungry I could die. Give me some food. 
And then what follows is this incredible uh, brother, brother, mano a mano, brother and brother conversation where the secondborn realizes that he's got something that the firstborn wants. And the conversation is this, this, this back and forth, or thought it would be this back and forth. Well, he would say one thing, and what can I give you in exchange for the food? But Esau was so ruled by his appetite. He's so ruled by the immediate and what he sees in front of him. I'm so hungry, I could die. He says, I'll give you anything for it. So Jacob says, well, give me your firstborn blessing. Give me all that comes with it. Give me the authority in the family, the property and the finance. Give me the spiritual blessing and favor from God. I want that, and you can have this beautiful lentil stew. It, wasn't even, it didn't have even meat in it. It was like vegan's delight. It wasn't even anything special. But again, this man, Esau, ruled by his appetite, says, what good is it for me if I'm dead? Give me, my, give me the food. You can have the blessing. And this incredible moment that just almost we want to skip over, but it's this reality as, as the text lands, it says he ate, Esau drank, he got up, he left, and he despised his birthright. And as I read, I go, cool, that sounds wonderful. That's not our culture. That's a different far ago land time, long, long ago. But I think it's much closer to home than we think. We, we hear phrases like him saying, I'm so hungry, I could die. Give me that food. I need to make a decision on like right now. Maybe you've said something like, I was so broke that I just had to do that. I was so lonely, so I, I just had to go back to that reality. I was so horny, so I had to act in that way, if I can be as crude. But so often we are people who are ruled by our appetites, but the reality, when we look at Esau, he made a decision that seemed insignificant in the moment, but it was extremely costly in the wrong, long run. Let me help us understand is that he sold his inheritance for a bowl of stew. And if you fast forward, you think, okay, there's a brief little passage in Scripture, Genesis 25, where an elder brother said, I'm so hungry, I could die. All I can see is my hunger. So take the birthright. Take the, the, the property in the finance. Take the, the authority from, of the family. Take the spiritual blessing from God. I just want the food now. You think, okay, that seems like innocent enough. Surely not too much harm can come from that. Well, if you fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, and you're reading the lineage of Christ, the lineage of Christ, which is firstborn after firstborn after firstborn, says he came from the father Abraham, who begat a son who became Isaac. Isaac begat a son who should have been Esau. But says, no, but Isaac begat a son, Jacob. And from that moment, when he sold his birthright, in this moment of just seeing his appetites and not seeing and being able to scope with vision a little bit further than what he could feel in the moment, from that moment forward, the Jewish people to this day call say, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should not be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau forfeited an eternal blessing for an immediate result. Park that story, because here we go when I see the story of two sons, two brothers, don't get the wrong end of the stick. It's not the tale of one bad brother and one good brother. They were both reprobates. They were both write-offs, both of them. Jacob probably even more so than Esau. As I mentioned, Jacob was a liar, a conniver, a grasper. But he had an encounter with God. And Genesis 33 is this profound moment where he has an encounter with God and his destiny changes from that moment. But what he does next is the thing that grabbed my attention. At the end of Genesis 33, verse 19, after a supernatural encounter with God, it says that he looked up and he bought himself a plot of land. It sounds like, okay. That's wonderful. That sounds interesting. What has that got to do? Supernatural, spiritual encounter. Next thing he does is he buys a plot of land. Now, if you're just reading and you get there, you go, that sounds like a good investment, wise decision. Not wrong, but it's not, what's that changing the economic landscape or the spiritual landscape? Not really. But if you keep reading, you fast forward to Genesis chapter 48, 
We're in a foreign nation where Joseph is, 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 is now in charge of Egypt. His son, his, his youngest son, and they're in time of deep need. And Jacob arrives there, and Jacob's about to die. It's 50 years from the moment he encountered God and bought that, that plot of land. He's now in Egypt, and he's handing out inheritances to his son, but he makes an addendum and says, but to my son jo Joseph, I leave him that plot of land that I bought back in Genesis 33. 50 years later, now we start to see, wow, there was something at work here that there was this generational lens that Jacob had that he encountered God, but he did something in the natural that started to lead to a blessing to his son 50 years later. That's cool on its own. But wait, there's more. Because if you fast forward another 2,000 years and flip in your Bibles to John chapter 4, the third and final time that that plot of land that was bought in Genesis 33, that next surfaced as an inheritance to a man named Joseph in Genesis 48, in John chapter 4, Jesus steps into an area called Samaria and he said he got to a place called Sychar, which means the end. This is the furthest place that Jesus could have ever gone. And he meets a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is at the end of herself. And it tells us he met at a well, and in brackets it says, and this well was on the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. When I read that, I started to wonder, God, how incredible is this miracle? That something has started in the natural in Genesis 33, in your hands, 50 years to Genesis 48, 2,000 years to John chapter 4, becomes something so significant that brings salvation to a lady and to an entire village and goes to the ends of the earth. And I started to dream and started to imagine what would happen if the people of God start to get a vision for what God can do with the here and now and start to transfer our allegiance to our, from our appetites and the, the demands that are in the now. I'm so hungry, I need to do this. I'm so busy, I need to do this. I'm so desperate, I need to make that decision. But we actually will look a little bit higher, look a little bit deeper and say, God, we want to see what you are doing. What would our story look like? Because I believe too many people are grasping for blessings for today. They're failing to build for tomorrow. We live in a culture, there's literally a worship song which is called Bless Me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Wonderful if you love it. It's no big agenda against it, but I think it epitomizes the church culture of our day. Me, bless me, give me a blessing, God. And we come for a little blessing and we're grasping, trying to fight for this blessing that will fill us up for today, but there's no lens of what we're building in the future. But I want to suggest that I believe that our vision for this year is that it's time to mature and build. I've got two little kids, Livy and Benji, and right now, my job as a parent is everything for them. They, they say, feed me, clothe me, bathe me, cuddle me, throw a ball to me. It's like, it's them, 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 and it's all about them, and actually, it's age-appropriate and good. But if they are teenagers, and they're still saying, bathe me, feed me, cuddle me, throw a ball to me, you start to realize there's maybe the the development process has gone a bit astray because the maturity journey is when you're young, it's all about you. You need to be looked after. But as you grow, we start to realize it becomes more mutual that I'm still going to look after them until their teenage years. Don't worry, not abandoning them. But they're going to have responsibilities and being able to pitch in with the family. But my ultimate job as a parent is that the fact that when they get into their older age, into their 20s, and they leave home, they're able to look after other people. And they have children of their own who says, Dad, feed me. And they've been equipped to feed those people. I think something in the church has gone defunct because we've got a whole lot. And this is not us. This is not us. I'm telling you, all, this evening service here, incredible. Hear it for somebody else, maybe. 
But I think we've got the propensity in all of our hearts to be, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. When God says, no, no, I want you to build for a future. Build for a generation to come. I want you to build for 25 years' time. I want you to build something that in 50 years' time, people will be able to point to and say, thank God those people did X, Y, Z. Thank goodness that guy built, bought a plot of land. Thank goodness that person made that decision because my life is different. This is what we're trying to put into our hearts because on the other side of our obedience, people are waiting. And we're not called to be people obsessed with the trivial when we were made for the eternal. We were made for the eternal. So, Vision 2024, we've put it on the magnets, we put it on as many things outside as we can, is build my life. We believe God's calling us to build, calling us to, to strengthen and, and put some foundation in place for time's sake. Matthew chapter 7 is the text we're going to read. Four points, then we'll pray and land. Matthew 7, verse 24, it's the, the culmination of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus talking, says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's read it very, one more time, but in the message version, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who has built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I love Jesus, the master teacher. He's just completing what is uh, arguably the greatest form of teaching ever, this block of teaching, Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends, distills all this teaching that he's given, the, the beatitudes and these ways of how to pray and fast and, and navigate our money and worry and these incredible truths. He lands it with a simplistic application. He said, there's two options, two builders. There's two ways to live here. Build on the rock, build on sand. One will stand firm, one will fade away. What is so lovely in this text that often is uh, not noticed is that the storm came and beat against both homes, both homes. One was built on rock, one was built on sand. This is not a promise to you saying, build on me and life will be good. Feeding into our bless me, bless me culture. No, no, no. He's saying, build because the storms are coming. Build because there's eternity at stake here. But here's the reality. He says, an encouragement to us, I believe, is to quit living in fear and response to storms and start building our foundations. So I want to give us four things. If we want to build our life, we need four ingredients to our faith that we want to put in at this time. Number one, we need divine encounter. We need divine encounter. When I think about Jacob, what separates Jacob from Esau, they are both at the very essence of their start, as we read their biographies in Genesis, they are terrible human beings. 
They're liars, they're cheats, they're fraudsters, they manipulate people and women and just... But the one thing that separates Jacob and Esau and an eternal perspective is one of them has a divine encounter and allowed God's hand to start working his life. We need a divine encounter. I want to remind us, when we say build our lives, we're not saying this is a, a better yourself season. This is us to say we want to find Jesus and not let go. We want to drive our hearts to find him in this time. I, I want to encourage my own heart to stop looking for open doors that will be a blessing and start closing the door and asking God to build something in my life. I think a lot of us are ruling our lives and making decisions based on there's this open door for this job, an open door for a relationship, an open door for this opportunity. We actually sometimes our prayer is not about just open doors and running and changing. And it's actually going, God, what are you building in me? What are you building? And that starts with us closing the door and getting with Him, divine encounter. Not shaped by the hands of man or our intellect or our reason or the economy or the relational status, no, but shaped by divine encounter. We need divine encounters. Secondly, we need to make decisions. We need to start taking steps of faith. I want to encourage us. We need to start reading the word. I heard somebody preach this week and said, the biggest problem with the Bible is that we have to read it. For our generation, that's the biggest problem. You can have any articulate uh, reason why you don't trust this or discredit or don't like the Bible. The problem is actually for our generation is we just don't read it. I'll tell you, make a decision, start reading the word. I love the text that's found in the book of Kings where we see this man, Joab, a nation is in ruin, but a king, after years of putting it off, years of putting it off, it says, but Joab found the book. And very quickly, in 12 days, the city, the nation was turned on its head with the favor of God, because he started to build in a different way. And I, my prayer for us is that we would find the book. We would find the book and find that it's life and start to build on the rock, not on pithy sayings, not on little tweets or the, the bumper stickers or the verse of the day, but building on the word. My, my wife and I, we start the, each year by just reading a heck a lot of scripture. We just read, we see a plan for ourselves and we read, and we call it the bulk. You know, when you, we're bulking. You know, if you, want, if you want to shred and get muscular like me, you, um, first, your gym trainer will say, you need to actually put on some weight before you can start shredding. And actually, I think a lot of people are coming to God and saying, God, speak to me. Give me the sharpness of your voice. And God says, I want to speak, but there's no bulk of my word in you. I need you to feed on my word so my spirit is something to work with. The Holy Spirit doesn't work with our feelings or our agendas. He works with his word. So uh, we've been reading the word, and, and as we read it, we've said the viewpoint for us often is we taught, this is how I read your word, the word of God, is what did God say to you today? What did you get out of it? As if the word of God, of God is like an ATM. I, I need a quick fix for today. Bless me, bless me, a quick fix. The problem with that is it'll leave you anemic and wondering why I'm not building something. So we start to read it as a bank. So every time we read the word, even if I don't understand it, I'm reading it by faith, and it's going in. And it's building muscle. And the Holy Spirit says, I've got something to work with. Because you're not trying to work with our intellect. Yes, we try and learn and we grow in our understanding of the word. But even before we get there, don't let that be a stumbling block. Just start reading it. Watch what God will do. Let's start making decisions. Start confessing sins. Start serving. Uh, somebody once said that my biggest fear is that this, that this time next year, I'll be the same person with the same problems. And that's a, a very real fear that we can do all these things and my worst fear would be that people come and spend years at our church and are no different. And they say, your church was a blessing to me. I go, that's wonderful, but I'm actually not looking to bless people, I'm looking to build with people. Let's build something. 
Divine encounter, make decisions. Thirdly is discipline. Because it's one thing to make a decision, it's another thing to walk those decisions out. Hebrews 12, uh, put, I, I love it, it's, it's most succinctly put, it's Hebrews 12 verse 1 in, the, in Eugene P- Peterson's translation says, strip down, start running, never quit. It's one of the most easily memorizable scripture. Strip down, start running, never quit. And it's this sort of like this wild idea of this in my heart of going, actually, I'm running after the things of God. I'm not going to give up to it, give up on it. And somebody once wrote, they said, maturity is walking in the same direction for a prolonged period with the same group of people. If you want to know what maturity is in Christ, it's walking in the same direction, not suddenly having a fresh word, a fresh season, a fresh this. It's actually, what has God called me to? I'm going to walk that way. In the same direction with the same people. Because when you walk with the same people for a long time, you get to see the growth, but also they know you better than you think. If you've always got new voices in your life, you're never going to be challenged to grow in the areas of defects. We've got to make disciplined decisions. I'm going to build and walk in a sustained direction. Fourthly and finally for tonight, number one, we need divine encounter. Number two, we need to make decisions. Number three, we need discipline. Fourthly, if we're going to build, build our lives, we need desperate faith. Desperate faith. I told this story last week. I'll tell it again because it's such a good one. My son, last week, we had a, got this new set of bunk beds and uh, it's been put together at the cheapest rate possible. And Benji was in trouble. I said to him, hey, listen, you just, you, you, you just need to get some space for us. You're just too much. As a four-year-old right now, you need to just, we need some space from you. And he was not happy. He went and lay in the bottom bunk. And he was lying there. I could tell he was frustrated with me. And he was making a loud noise. And, he's, and he starts to swing his legs up. He's kicking the top of the bunk, kicking it and kicking it. And I've told him, don't do that. But he wasn't listening at this stage. And I was trying to ignore him because I'm frustrated right now as well. And I can tell he's frustrated. He's moaning, not happy with the circumstance. But all of a sudden, Benji's little four-year-old legs kicked and dislodged the bunk beds and they came loose at the bottom and they started to come down on him and crushed his little body and he was now suspended. His little legs are now, they were kicking in frustration on our holding on for dear life. And all of a sudden, the, little, the frustrated noises and anger, dad, and suddenly was this desperate cry, dad! And that moment, I knew the difference between a frustrated noise and a desperate noise. And I ran in there and was able to come and, and, and take the bunk bed off him. And, and he burst into tears, sobbing, so sorry, Dad, sorry, Dad. Discipline was easy that day. Stay. <laughs> easy. But it got me thinking, and, and I've been thinking about this all week and saying there's a huge difference between frustration and desperation. And a lot of people are in spaces of frustration, but they're not seeing any change. You only see change when you get to a place of desperation. Desperate faith. In every scenario in the scriptures of true faith, faith is not faith until it's desperate faith. Where it's God, if I step out and you don't come, I don't have anything. That's when there's the difference. We're not, if you're just frustrated by poverty, you're never gonna do anything to change it. If you're just frustrated by this epidemic, if you're just frustrated by this situation, if you're just frustrated by not seeing change, you're not gonna do something diff- des- different until you get desperate. Say, God, something has to change. In me, in our city, something has to change. We gotta get desperate. It's that Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me type faith. It's a people getting a glimpse of eternity. By faith, Noah built the ark because he was desperate. The rain's coming. By faith, Moses built the tabernacle. By faith, Nehemiah built the city walls. By faith, Solomon built the temple. And by faith, I believe Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. A church that would yet to take shape in any functional form, Jesus was declaring by faith who we would be. 
a people that he would be building and fashioning together. So I love the fact that at the end of the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, 7, he lands it with this very simple invitation. Will you build your life on the rock? Will you build your life on the sand? Two choices. It boils down to two brothers. Will you be ruled by your appetites, the immediate, your desires, right now, what I need, bless me, bless me, or you'll make, like Jacob, have divine encounter, make a decision to buy a plot of land, walk that out with discipline, hold on to it and give it to your son in Genesis 48, and then trust God with desperate faith that God would do something with that, and be, be even far greater than he could have asked, dream, or imagined. And John 4, salvation comes to a woman, comes to a city, and we're able to look back and go, wow, this is a miracle. 25 years ago, a man named Wally and Shirley stepped into a little home in Jenny Lane. And they had no clue of the salvation stories, the mysteries that God will unravel, the generations, the global impact, what God would do in, th in and through this little step of faith. But I say, thank God for all of it. But now I believe it's our turn. It's our turn to build our lives with eternity in mind. Can we stand to our feet? I'd love to pray for us. I've gone along, so I really apologize. I want us to read a declaration of faith together. Then we'll land. Is that all right? It's going to come on the screen. And if you believe this, if this is in your heart, why don't we read this together and declare that this is what God is going to do in and through us this year. So we read it. We're going to read it together. One, two, three. I declare my commitment to building my life upon the teachings of Jesus Christ, to walk in His ways, to live according to His Word. I desire no other than Jesus as my guide, Jesus my strength, and Jesus my source of hope. I'll seek to embody His love, compassion, and grace in all that I do. I will build my house on the rock of ages that never fails me. As we land, why don't you stretch out your hands to the person next to you. Why don't we lay them upon the person next to you as you can. Move across. I want to pray for us. Then we'll land. Father, I pray right now for your sons and daughters. In this moment, I hear the militant voice of Jesus. We love you, Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than the brother. Yes, we love you, Jesus, the God of all compassion. Yes, we love you, Jesus, the lily in the valley. Yes, we love you, Jesus, the good shepherd. But we also love you, Jesus, our Lord, our captain, our commander, the one who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we hear your voice, the urgency of the hour, the eternal cry right now, I pray, awaken our eyes to see eternal things. Stamp our eyeballs with eternity, God. I pray that we would be a people who are not wandering about, dictated to by our appetites, dictated to by just wanting a, a bless me moment when God is calling us as sons and daughters with our businesses, with our gifts and talents, with uh, the little that we have in hand. You're saying, actually, yes, even with you, you think you're a, a write-off. You think you've run far. You think your life is in tatters. Jesus says, yes, even you, I want to build with you. Will you build my church? Will you build my kingdom? Will you build your life? life on the rock. So I pray right now, God, would you give us fresh eyes to see, fresh ears to hear. Give us hearts that are, are stirred to by the, the more of you. And God, give us spirits that are convicted and feet that walk this out. I thank you for this. We will build our lives. We will build our lives upon your love. We'll build our lives upon your word. We'll build our lives upon your precepts, upon what you are saying, what you are leading us to. And we forsake all other we build our lives in 2024 and into eternity. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.